This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Now time for The Outsider. In what's been viewed as an olive branch, Buckingham Palace has made the extraordinary and I think unconscionable decision, actually, to bury the probe into Meghan Markle's alleged bullying of royal staff. The Queen's aides confirmed the palace has revised its HR policies following the investigation into the behaviour of the Duchess during a so-called toxic period between late 2018 and early 2020. However... Those findings, well, we're never going to be told about them. They will never be made public. While lawyers for the Sussexes denied allegations of bullying and blamed a smear campaign, the absence of answers debatably leaves a real question mark over Meghan's integrity, which will neither satisfy her fans, who hope she'd be vindicated, or her critics, including my next guest, the American royal YouTube star and fellow actress P. Diner. Now, there is one particular reason I've been desperate to get P. Diner on the show. After arranging to meet uh, her friend and confident Thomas Markle in the UK during the Jubilee, a plan sadly scuppered by his devastating stroke, uh, P. Diner, whose real name is Patricia Dimitru, had a coincidental and ultimately extraordinary meeting with my producer Ben Leo on a London-bound train following her visit to royal writer Lady Colin Campbell. So after asking Ben to answer some questions on the Royals for her YouTube channel, a Megan-supporting member of the public butted into their interview and sparked an all-out row on the train. You're not going to believe this. Watch. Hi, everyone. So I'm here on the train. I just left Lady C's and heading back to the airport now. And we ran into the producer of the Dan Wooten show. And well, what about the accusations about the Brits being racist? What did you think about Megan making that accusation? That's not absolute nonsense. We described her and the marriage as magical, described her as beautiful. We celebrated the, the diversity. I think she wanted to leave from the very beginning. Well, if you look at her history of, um, of sort of social climbing and whatever else, uh, yeah. It would make sense to me. You should really think about some of the language that you're using. Social climbing. Sorry. I found your language. Then you can leave, lady. Can I? Can I? I'm just letting you know. Don't come over here telling me what I need to do. Because you're offended. I'm not not telling you what you need to do. Yes, you just told me what I need to do. I'm sitting here trying to do my language. I need to watch my language is what you said. She's dealing with sensual. Look, man. We're... Well, she should have never married into the family. Look at this sun front page from the day she was married. History. Harry and Meg's historic change for monarchy. Get that on camera. The Daily Mail showbiz editor. Successful woman. Nothing to do with her being African. Of any colour. What's me calling her a social time got got her to to do with her race? What are you talking about? Coming across as a victim. Yes. You you see people as victims. You're a victim of of our language. You're getting offended for people having a conversation. You would say that because you're a victim in chief. (laughs) Wow, I couldn't believe that. And I'm delighted to say that P. Diner joins me now from New York. I mean, Patricia, wow, there you are conducting a really fascinating interview with our brilliant producer, Ben, on the train. And I thought it was really respectful. You're making all of these fascinating points. And that lady comes for you. 
Yeah, I don't know why she thought she had the right to come into our conversation. (laughs) We were actually being very respectful and just giving our opinions. I was asking questions and she she had been listening the whole time and she just wanted to come over and have her two cents heard. I guess she was really offended by the things we said about Megan. I don't know why someone feels they can do that. Do you find it ironic, Patricia? Do you find it ironic when you have sort of a seemingly middle class white British woman trying to talk to you about racism uh, in America when you're a black woman? Is there an irony there? Yeah, it is, because there's this thing we have in the States called a Karen. I don't know if you have it in the UK, but it's (laughs) a big phenomenon in the state. There's a lot of women, middle-class white women, that tend to confront people who I believe they feel are of a lower class, and they want to interject their feelings and thoughts around things that they just don't like, and they feel they can come up and say these things. And, and, And at first, I was like, well, wait a minute, am I in America or am I in the UK? Like, where am I at right now? I was really taken aback by it. And it was like my own personal Karen moment. And it was ironic that she felt so emboldened to come talk to me, a black woman, about such things. It's it's crazy. Why would you do that? Why do you feel you have that that gutsiness about you to confront me in in your country? You know, and she knew that. Now, now. Tell me, you you have become an outspoken critic of Meghan, one of her biggest critics on the internet. You've gained a massive following as a result and this friendship with her father, Thomas Markle. Uh, what is it about Meghan, Patricia, that you don't trust? I think Meghan comes into this platform with false intentions and she's trying to mimic this black persona to gain sympathy. And she can't possibly get this persona in an authentic way that she thinks is going to get her to where she wants to go because it's it's false. It's not accurate. She has not walked in the shoes of a woman with a dark skin, but she wants to exploit that and she wants to use that to help her brand. And it's an insult to black people who who go in this world every day with people who are unfortunately racist and have to deal with these things. Things have gotten a lot better, but she's trying to exploit something that causes real hurt and harm to real people, myself being one of them. Megan can never walk into a room and be called the N-word, ever, never. I can. So how is it that she can take something like the race card and use it for herself to brand herself, to enrich herself and her popularity to be a victim and, and not really be an issue she deals with? It's mm. insulting and it's it's wrong to do. And she should be called out for it because that pain that I feel in others, even other women who are even darker than myself, go through even more pain because of their dark skin. And she exploits it like it's a game. It's something that she can toy with for the sake of her branding. And yeah, she's and it, never claimed to be black ever. And it is a game and for now her. She, she wants to do that. 
Yeah, it is a game for her, absolutely. And it's all about pursuing this political agenda. You know, she wants to run for politics. She wants to be a big Democratic politician. And on that note, P. Diner, I wanted to ask you about this decision by Buckingham Palace to effectively cover up or bury, however you want to put it, this bullying probe into Meghan. Uh, Mm -hmm. There were so many rumours about the way that she treated her staff and... Some of them were very serious. Are you shocked that these findings are never going to be released? They're never going to be made public? Yeah, yeah I was really hurt. It's it's like she gets away with so much. She can do things that are unimaginable to people and and not pay the consequences for it. And that is giving the wrong message. She has to be taught that if you do certain things within your company, if you go against rules, guidelines, and you treat people a certain way, there are consequences to that. You should not get away with that. And I believe it's also a sacrifice, it's a slap in the face to the people who, who had these allegations, because apparently they will not know these outcomes no, either. They're not no. going to know. No, and, no one will know. I, I know if I went to HR and they, you know, said, OK, we're not going to release the findings. I'm going to be like, well, what? Like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, I know. all I can hope is that someone brave leaks these findings. That's what I want to happen. And I think that's what needs to happen. But uh, Patricia Dimitro, a.k.a. P. Diner, I love your work. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Now, schools are supposed to be safe places of learning, but chilling reports reveal kids have been indoctrinated with extreme lessons on race, sex and identity. MPs debated the issue in Westminster today with Conservative MP for Penniston and Stocksbridge, Miriam Cates, front and centre, with her harrowing findings. A biology teacher herself, she outlined how children have been taught a wide range of sexual positions, including rough sex, spanking and choking. One distraught constituent even detailed how her six-year-old had been taught about masturbation in the classroom. The MPs discussed led to this extraordinary exchange on the BBC. Unfortunately, Joe, I can't actually tell you about them because of your broadcast rules. Um, you know, they are not suitable uh, to be read out uh, on your programme. And I think that's really? the problem because they are given to young children. And some of them, which I will describe in the debate, because obviously our rules in, in Parliament are different, um, describe quite extreme sexual acts and, and adult uh, sexual concerns to really quite young children. Well, another person who is using her platform to expose the shocking materials being taught in schools is journalist, broadcaster and star Daily Mail columnist Dame Jenny Murray. In her latest column, she documents how parent Claire Page became worried about the way her daughter was talking about white privilege and gender, so requested lesson plans. She was shut down by the East London School, however, and told that the materials were, quote, commercially sensitive. And Dame Jenny wrote, what's happening here is the politicisation of the curriculum. And Dame Jenny Murray joins me now. This was such a fascinating column. I mean, what is going on in our schools? And by the way, what do they have to hide? Exactly. Well, I think I know what they have to hide. I think in a lot of these K-12 
cases, and I don't think this school is the only school no, that there's this kind of problem at. Um, I think what's happened is that organisations have been brought in. The commercialisation that was referred to in, oh, no, it's commercially sensitive. You know, we, we, can't, we, we can't reveal. Uh, I think it means that they are paying organisations to come in and I have my suspicions about which organisations they might be. Stonewall, I suspect, mm -hmm. is one. Or at least Stonewall-affiliated organisations, yeah. You know, people with those kind of views who are being paid to come in and do sex education. And there was a... I don't know who would have been doing race, but, you know, certainly there was a lot of really quite disturbing stuff going on on, on the race question where children were shown posters of black and white people stabbing each other and then asked to make posters of their own, which they did, and they were very violent, and they had some... Well, one of them said, uh, the Prime Minister is a liar, was it, their, their mm. strap? Um, that's, you know, highly politicised stuff. So the mother in this case got very worried about her daughter starting to think, oh, my goodness, have I got white privileges? Is that wrong? Apparently her race had never been referred to before in a school that was primarily black and, and mixed-race kids. Nobody had ever referred to her whiteness before. Suddenly they started to refer to it, so the mother got very worried about that. Well, could we see the lesson plans? Oh, no, no, um, it, it's not your right to see the the lesson plan. And of course, it's true. The schools are not forced to give those plans out. On on the the gender question, which, as you know, because we've talked about it yes. before, is something that, that worries me a lot. You know, I thought, hang on, if, if my kid was in school and came home and said to me, oh, did you know there were 48 different genders? I'd say, uh, no, love, sorry. That's wrong. The school has got it wrong. So are children being taught things that have no basis in fact? But we That's know they what's are. That's really scary. I mean, what, what well, Marianne what Cates was was, was, was was just talking about. I mean, that is extreme sexual detail being presented to six-year-olds, Jenny. I know. It's outrageous, isn't it? I mean, some people would say, oh, come on, you're a bit old, you're a bit old-fashioned, you know, in what you think. And actually, no, I am not. You know, a six-year-old child should not be being taught nonsense like that. Why do they need to know it? And, of course... All they need to be told is if they've been playing around in the playground and some boy's put his hand up some girl's skirt, no, you don't do that. You know, your body is your own and you look after it and you don't interfere with anybody else's body. That's yes. all they need. And no one must, must touch you and, and report exactly. it if you do, especially if the person is an That's adult. That's all they obviously. need to know at that age. But, but masturbation, I mean, come on, and, six-year-olds? Well, and even when sex education is happening for, for older children too, surely it is a parental right to know what sex education is being taught because for some parents... That is something that they want to educate their children on themselves. You know, you are allowed as a parent, it is perfectly legal, to ask for your child to be removed yes. from certain lessons. 
if you have a different religion from the one that you think is being taught in the school, then you can withdraw your child from that. Equally, you can from sex education. I mean, I think it's a great pity if, in the case of the school that I was writing about, 13, 14-year-olds are being withdrawn from sex education because actually they need it. They need to know these things, but they need it to be taught biologically and sensibly and within certain parameters. Yeah, and without I mean, even this far-left woke politicisation of it. Even 13 and 14-year-olds don't need to be told about masturbation. Some of the boys probably know already. Actually, some of the girls <laughs> might too. But, you know, it, you have to be really, really careful that it's age-appropriate and it's based in biological fact. That's what worries me because I see the figures on particularly girls wanting to transition transition are rising and rising and rising. Where is that coming from? Is that coming from schools teaching? Oh, yes, you know, there are lots of different genders. Not teaching them the difference between sex and gender, which is terribly important. And I am so frightened that kids are being encouraged or allowed or enabled to go down a road that may well be very, very dangerous for them. Well, of course, and we, we know that they are because I have had on, on this very show uh, people who have, have, have been indoctrinated are actually lesbian women who uh, were given the wrong sort of encouragement, I would say. At an, at an early age, as a teenager, they found the concept of transitioning at that point much easier. And then once they're in their early 20s, when their hormones have settled down, they've realised, actually, I'm a lesbian woman. Well, by that part, their body has been mutilated and it's too late. So while I completely agree there has to be sex education I think parents must, must have the right to know what sort of sex education is being taught in schools. So do I. uh, Across the board, parents should have access to the kind of things their children are being taught. I mean, one of the things I quoted in my column this morning, and I was sent at the age of four because I desperately wanted to go to school Most schools wouldn't take me until I was five. I think my mother was quite (laughs) glad to get rid of me into school, really, because I was a bit of a nuisance. Um, And I went to a convent school. And my mother said, look, you know, the, the academic qualifications here are brilliant, the teaching is brilliant, but we prefer that she didn't take part in the religious lessons. And they said, yes, yes, that's fine. So my mum sent me to Sunday school so that I got some religious training but you know I remember friends of mine who were Roman Catholics going into classes and being told if they didn't behave themselves they would burn in hell and I remember thinking "Hmm," at the age of five I'm glad nobody's telling me that I'm going to burn (laughs) in hell and then you know when I was trying to find a school for my kids who are now far from kids they're very very grown up but I wanted to find out what the... They were going to go to all-boys schools, which I would have preferred, really, that they went to a mixed school, but the schools that seemed very good were all-boys. And I asked three headmasters, 
about what they were going to do to make sure that the boys in the school were taught about the equality between the sexes and what their role was in relation to girls and women as they grew up. The first one clearly hadn't a clue what I was talking about and just looked at me utterly blankly. <laughs> What's this woman on about? The second one said, oh, well, um, I, I do have a couple of ladies in the art department. Mm, ladies didn't go down too well with me, nor the fact that they were only in the art department. Then the third one said, well, with the little ones, um, and, and this was 11, 12-year-olds, we'll be talking about housework and doing the dishes and what their role is in the family of, you know, taking part in domestic work. And then, you know, once they come up to the fifth and sixth form, well, then we'll be talking about consent, obviously, because, you know, if my mm. boys are going to university, I want them to know what mm. sexual consent is all about. Um, he said, and then uh, one of the other things I've done is um, I've appointed women into maths and physics because I want my boys to understand that women are not only good at English and art. And that so you were like, they, bingo. And I said, yeah, this is, this is, this is the school. And, and I think that is the perfect illustration of why parents cannot lose control and why schools can't just railroad over parents' rights. And I think this is going to be a really big issue in the weeks and the months and the years to come, actually parents starting to stand up against some of this indoctrination at school. We have to. You know, yeah. we trust the teachers to look after our children, prevent them being bullied, have discussions about the world they're growing up in, but do it sensibly and only talk to them about things that are based in and science too. Dame Jenny Murray. And science. Very good advice. Thank you so much. Great to see you again. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. Now, we've been shining a light on the tragic injuries and deaths caused by COVID vaccines for some time now, including the story of Alex Mitchell, who horrifically lost a leg after developing blood clots following the AstraZeneca jab last year. When we brought his plight to a national television audience seven weeks ago, Alex was fighting hard to secure compensation for his life-changing injury, but feared it would be years before his case was even heard. But I'm delighted to reveal that following his appearance, the government has finally stumped up £120,000 for Alex through its vaccine damage payment scheme. He's believed to be the first living survivor of his specific COVID vaccine-induced condition to be granted the cash. This follows Vicky Spitt, the widow of Cumbrian musician Zion Spitt, who died after taking the AstraZeneca vaccine in May 2021, becoming the first person to receive a payout following high-profile appearances on Mark Stein's brilliant GB News show. She, too, received £120,000. Alex, uh, so look, you were a fit and healthy scaffolder before losing your leg because of the jab. Uh, You thought you were simply doing the right thing, just as the government had asked. Does this payment score a line under your terrible ordeal or or how do we keep the momentum going for those vaccine victims whose stories haven't yet been shared? I, if I'm honest, Dan, I believe that the 
the payment is just it's the, the fact that they've admitted causation and probability you know yeah £120,000 is going to take some pressure off my wife because obviously I've got a mortgage that's not not going to go away um, and I've got other debts because over the last year I've had, you know, it took me 10 months to get any benefits um, so it's the money will take off my wife um, but it won't it won't it won't make my life massively different no. you know I'll take yeah I think it's only true that we should receive some sort of a support and the amount would be an insult under any circumstances for, for the loss of a life or the loss of a limb um, and that's the bit that for me more than anything it's probability and causation you know it's acknowledgement that this is real it's acknowledgement that we didn't make up it's acknowledgement that the government has finally accepted that there is a problem with these AstraZeneca, well, particularly the AstraZeneca vaccine. Yeah, but for a long time, Alex, you were ignored. Yes, um, for over a year. Um, I was, I'm not the only one. I think that's what's very common, is every single one of us, Vicky included, um, and all the other bereaved families have been ignored, gaslighted, and basically left it to rot. So the fact that they've actually done something is an incredible bonus for us all. The acknowledgement no, that that makes a massive difference to, to me personally. You know, it's a thing. The money, it's, it's secondary. It's not going to change my life. Nothing's going to give me my leg back. No, no. I know, and it's unimaginable what you've been through, but I do also think your treatment over the past year and the treatment of many vaccine damage victims has been appalling because you have been ignored, you have been gaslit. Do you think the tide is turning, Alex, though? Is, is there more acknowledgement for you coming? I hope so. I feel that there is. Um, we now know that there's at least six payments being made out. Okay. Um, that's fantastic news. What I do have an thought was, you know, the people that lost a loved one, I do believe that they should be sorted first. I really do, because um, it doesn't make me feel any better knowing that there's families. And, and it's a worse situation than myself financially, because they've lost a loved one. Um, and that impacts on them far more than it impacts on me. And I do, I struggle with that one. Why not pay the bereaved out first? I'm not saying, you know, you could have left me another year. I couldn't afford another year, I'm not going to lie. But I think that they should have sorted the bereaved people first. Well, I, I, I absolutely agree, but I just don't think any of you should have been waiting for a year. It is utterly, utterly outrageous. And, Alex, I don't know about you, but I feel so angry that your stories have been ignored by most of the rest of the media. Yeah, I, I think that the trauma of that is all far worse in some cases of what we've been through. And I know that may sound ridiculous, that I've lost a leg, that's a horrific thing. But the fact that, you know, you were ignored, you were denied, no one wanted to listen to yep. you. It's a very lonely, dark place to be for some people. And we yes. have lost people through this. And I suppose that, for me, more than anything, is that it gives us hope. Yes, because that now you can say categorically to the world, to anyone who asks, I lost my leg as a direct result of the AstraZeneca jab and the government have acknowledged that and paid out. So psychologically, that must help at least a little bit, I guess. 
Massively, to be honest with you, Dan, it's a massive uh, boost for us because we've been screaming for over some of us over a year. Um, it's very demoralising and it put people down. But now we've got the hope that we can move forward. There is a road for us. And we what is that a- road, Alex? What is that road? Where, where do you want to take this next? Um, well, the next stage is obviously there's a legal uh, civil action for a class action for the fix. Um, that's obviously in the process. Cl- clearly for us, the fact that causation and probability has been admitted by the government and one department, how can they deny it when there's a class action for the exact same situation? So how long that takes, because we know that legal wheels go very slow, but it gives us massive hope and inspiration that there is an end to, to some of this. Yeah. Some of us will never end. Um, no. Where I go from here, I think I generally will spend the rest of my life fighting causes like this because it's horrific. I'm, you know, we now know that there's over two and a half thousand claims for the vaccine damage over the last twelve years. Let's sort these people out. I know. Let, you know. Well, look, stop. Alex Mitchell, we're going to be with you on this, uh, so we will keep in touch and, and we will keep fighting for you and folk in your position. By the way, AstraZeneca, they didn't comment at all today on this, but a government spokesperson did. They said we are working through claims made by the vaccine damage payment schemes as quickly as possible with a team of caseworkers keeping claimants updated. Medical assessments reviewed once the claimant has provided their full medical records, which can take time. All vaccines have undergone robust clinical trials and meet the UK medical regulators' strict standards of safety, effectiveness and quality. Dan Button here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Button tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. Listener.